We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You're going to talk a little more fantasy football. Welcome back. Hour on the score i am or camp here with you until 10 o'clock listen it's about that time we're in the middle of the preseason and everybody kind of has to adjust without the fourth preseason game anyway it's time for fantasy drafts man and i know i've been i'll admit i've been lazy in my prep this year i was so into the weeds with the nba that i needed some time away and now i find myself way behind and it's draft time so that's why we're going to go out to the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Welcome in the dude from Establish the Run, and I mean one of the dudes in the fantasy industry in general, Evan Silva of Establish the Run. Evan, I really appreciate you taking time for me, man, and excited that football is finally here and it's really like draft season for everybody now. Likewise, likewise, Rick, and it's good to talk to you. And, you know, it really hit home for me uh, actually this past weekend because last year we didn't have preseason football at all. And this past uh, weekend we had, you know, five first-round rookie quarterbacks playing, and it was exciting to watch all five of them. And we didn't get that opportunity with last year's class. To, To see the young players go out there and compete for the first time in their NFL careers. I know that preseason really doesn't matter, but, you know, it's, it's a great way to build up to the regular season. And, you know, watching Justin Fields get better as the game progressed in his first ever preseason game, I think was promising. So with kind of some of the weird situations or just, you know, incumbents ahead of at least when you look at Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones, does their kind of uncertainty in terms of when they start create a little bit of even more depth at the quarterback position than we're even used to? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the big thing is that the, the, with the exception of Mac Jones, um, you know, the other four first round quarterbacks, they can all run. Uh, Trevor Lawrence averaged almost 25 rushing yards per start at Clemson, Justin Fields was up near 40. You know, Zach Wilson of the Jets, he averaged over 20 rushing yards per game. And Trey Lance, obviously, we, we know what he can do as a runner. I mean, he's like a Cam Newton sort of talent as, as a runner and as a, like a physical talent. So, and that just, it raises the floor of his fantasy outlook and it also raises his ceiling. And it, it might take a few weeks for these, some of these guys to get in there. 
Trevor Lawrence, of course, is going to start week one. Zach Wilson is going to start week one. It may take a few weeks for Justin Fields, uh, Mac Jones, and um, uh, Trey Lance to get in there. But when they do, they're going to be big-time fantasy assets. In your standard redraft league, not not standard because like basically nobody uh-huh. plays standard anymore, or at least they shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> so what's yeah. the primo draft spot to have this year? Because I know sometimes – it seems it seems like lately, more often than not, it's been towards the middle. But I feel like I've heard a decent amount of wanting those first couple slots this year. Yeah, there have been uh, studies done on on uh, in high stakes leagues over the years, and the the highest winning percentage, and it's you know it's minimal uh, the the differences from from pick to pick, but the highest winning percentages have actually been in the middle, uh, like uh, picks number six, seven, eight, five. Uh, but this year, I like to draft on the end. I like to get Christian McCaffrey at 101 or Dalvin Cook at 102 or draft in the back end and start with you know, Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams or Stephon Diggs or both of them if I, if I can um, because you know, you're, 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 you're coming back quickly to your second-round pick. So I think it differs year to year, but over the course of time, um, if you look at high-stakes leagues and data from those leagues, Drafting in the middle has been has offered the highest winning percentage. Is there an overall philosophy that you've been following in draft so far? Because I know there's always every year there's the the running back dead zone, and it's just a matter of like trying to find yeah. where it is year in and year out. So where's is the dead zone this year, and how does that play into your your you know more often than not your draft strategy? Obviously, a lot of it being slot dependent. Well, I think that the best way to approach your fantasy draft is to build like a, a locked in top 25. You're, you're, build your own rankings. You can use, you know, the opinions of analysts, but then build in your personal preferences and also make sure that you have a, a really strong handle on the, the scoring and the, the league format for your particular league. And then you make your first two picks essentially just going by your rankings, and then you allow your first two picks to dictate how you're going to treat the rest of your draft. Like, let's say you start out with, you know, your, your, your rankings dictate that you end up with two running backs in the first two, in the first two rounds. You know, you, might, you, you probably want to hit uh, pass catchers really hard after that. Um, if you start out with two wide receivers based on your rankings, you might want to start to look at, um, you know, the, the highest-rated running back on your board in the third round this year in particular, though, I would say that um, the tight end position is really, really shallow, shallow. And after about the first five or six tight ends, which are you know, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle and Darren Waller and Kyle Pitts and TJ Hawkinson and Mark Andrews, there is a cliff drop after those guys. You're, you're making a, a big move down to guys like Logan Thomas and Tyler Higby and Robert Tanyan. Um, so I think that there is some value to being aggressive in drafting a tight end early within the first three rounds, uh, just because there's such a significant drop off after the elite tight ends. Speaking with Evan Silva, I've established the run here on the score farm on Twitter at Evan Silva, but you probably already do. Honestly, if you even care about fantasy football in the slightest and like mentioning the, the context around everybody's draft, it's part of the reason that I love the draft kit that you guys have. Because as I look under rankings, almost like literally every possible 
settings that you could have for your league are covered. And also, obviously, you have your 150, but also the tiers of Evan are so huge because I'm someone where like, I'm very visual. So being able to know, mm-hmm. okay, there's five quarterbacks in your top tier, then being mm-hmm. able to go down with a bit of ev- a bit on everybody and then down to that four quarterback second tier. Like for me personally, in the way I learn, that helps out a ton, even outside of just having the 150. So if people do not have the established the run draft kit, mm-hmm. I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, you mentioned Kyle Pitts, and I just find him fascinating because of the, the role in the Falcons offense and just obviously all the, the normal things that we hear about rookie tight ends. Why, why are you so sure that he can buck a lot of those trends and be a big-time fantasy producer year one? Well, we've actually never seen a tight end with the, the profile and the resume uh, entering the NFL as we have here with Kyle Pitts, who was – he checks every single box. He was an elite producer in college. He uh, won the Mackey Award, you know, the award given to the, the best tight end in, in all of college football uh, as a, a junior. Um, he uh, is an, an incredible athlete, and he also has unprecedented draft capital. He was the number four overall pick in the draft. So, and he's also going to, into a situation where um, you know, Arthur Smith, the new Falcons head coach, is an excellent uh, strategist when it comes to, well, uh, first of all, using mul- multiple tight ends. He was uh, very aggressive with a multiple tight end offense uh, in Tennessee, with far inferior talent in Johnny Smith and Anthony Ferkser. And, and then you, you build in the, the, uh, the absence of the loss of Julio Jones, and all of a sudden you have, you know, you have Calvin Ridley there and then Kyle Pitts, and there's just not a whole lot of pass-catching talent in Atlanta beyond that. So I think he's going to be efficient. I think he's going to have a high-volume role. He can make plays downfield, and he's going to be dominating the scoring position. So I think he is going to buck the trend of rookie tight ends not being highly productive in the NFL. It's nice to know that some other people on the road notice that you're out there, and they're thanking you for all the fantasy advice you give. (laughs) But Okay, so who are, as we go through the preseason, and I know one of your best skills that I appreciate is being able to filter through all the information that you get in preseason, kind of figure out what's real and what's not. What are a couple offenses that you're keeping an eye on in the preseason just to either if it's one position battle or just to see maybe they're in the middle and they have some upside to be a really good offense to where maybe you can find some value in one or two pieces there or the opposite where you're trying to see if an offense you're worried might fall off a little bit. Well, I think that uh, the the offense that I'm going to be monitoring most closely this weekend and into the third week of preseason is Cincinnati because they have a lot of talent in their pass catcher core with Jamar Chase, with T. Higgins, with Tyler Boyd, with Joe Burrow. And, but they have major problems on the, on the offensive line. And the reports out of training camp have been not great uh, as to how they began uh, August. So, but, they, you know, but they have all this theoretical potential. Can they put it together when the regular season starts? I, I, I'm hoping for signs of progress from them because apparently they have not shown that so far in training camp. Um, so, and, and they have, and they also, they have played at a fast pace. They've thrown the football at a, a really high rate. And so I just, they have the potential for a ton of volume, but are they going to be able to be efficient with a bad offensive line and uh, you know, with a quarterback coming off an ACL and an MCL tear? 
of those three main receivers, is there any one of them with what we know at this moment that you prefer over the others? Yeah, it would be Jamar Chase just from a talent standpoint. Um, but I think from a value standpoint, people aren't as excited about Tyler Boyd as much as they are about Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, and therefore he goes the latest in drafts, and I think he's probably the best value. I was I was a little worried about how the snaps went for Miami's backfield in week one, because I was, you know, maybe looking at, at possibly targeting miles Gaskin, but seeing Malcolm Brown and just, you know, Malcolm Brown's just kind of a dude at this point, or at least it sure seems like it. Not much more than that. Are you concerned about what that backfield's going to look like? Or do you think it's more just, you know, preseason junk and Gaskin will probably be the dude once they actually get going. I'm concerned that it's going to be a three-way backfield that also includes Salvin Ahmed, who's a pretty good change of pace back. Uh, but Malcolm Brown looked like the starter in the first week of preseason, and Miles Gaskin was more of a backup. So I, I think it's, it's a, just a nebulous situation behind a pretty bad offensive line, and um, it's not, a, uh, it's not a, 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 I think, a, a fantasy situation that I'm looking to invest in. On the text line at 312-644-6767, a lot of people asking about just what parts of the Bears' offense around their current ADP do you have any interest in? Well, Justin Fields. I think that you know it, it might take a couple weeks for him to get, get in there. I think they should put him in. Well, I think they should let Andy Dalton take all, all the hits from Aaron Donald that are going to occur in week one. But I think they should try to get Justin Fields in there as soon as week two, let him take his lumps as a rookie. Um, but, I mean, that's going to be the best situation for him to, you know, the, the, the softest defense. They have a tough schedule. You know, the, the Bears really do have a tough schedule this year. But I think it's better to let guys play and make their mistakes and, and learn from them uh, rather than just keeping them on the bench. I'm speaking with Evan Silva here on 670 The Score for a couple more minutes. Follow him on Twitter at Evan Silva and get that draft kit over at Establish the Run and look into one of those other packages as well because you will make money as a result of it. I'm having a hard time trying to figure out the Tennessee Titans and what exactly they're going to be. We Obviously, you mentioned Arthur Smith before, really good offensive coordinator, now the head coach in Atlanta. And Julio Jones is there now, which is cool to give another weapon but Corey Davis is gone Johnu Smith is gone and I, I don't know what to make a, of Derrick Henry with the load that he's had to carry over the last few years and what their receiving options are now well they've got AJ Brown they've got Julio Jones now you know they've got uh their new offensive coordinator Todd Downing who's replacing Arthur Smith has a, a pass heavy track record when he coordinated the Raiders offense in 2017 they were 30th in the NFL in rushing attempts so I think that they're going to throw the ball a lot more this year. I think that Ryan Tannehill, if you're looking at it from a fantasy standpoint, Ryan Tannehill is, a pre- is going to be a pretty good pick. I think that A.J. Brown, his talent is extraordinary. I have him as the number six overall receiver in fantasy this year. And Julio Jones, people don't want to draft him because he's changing teams, he's getting older, but he was still very efficient when he was healthy last year. And again, I think their pass attempts are going to rise by 100, maybe 150, and there's going to be a lot of – and there's not – there's just not a lot of guys there that are talented enough to take away targets from A.J. Brown and from Julio Jones. So I think they're both really good picks where where they're going in drafts. Who are you most bullish on compared to ADP? doesn't matter what – whatever position. 
it's uh, it's Tyler Lockett. And Tyler Lockett I have is the number 12 overall receiver in fantasy. And his ADP is the number 22 receiver overall in fantasy. So that's a, a really big difference. I mean, he's he had 100 catches last year. He was inconsistent from week to week. But he had weeks where he would literally win you the week. He was that productive. He's playing with Russell Wilson. Um, they're gonna uh, they're emphasizing tempo this year. They're gonna be playing really fast. They're gonna run a lot of plays, and it's also a narrow target distribution where there just aren't guys to, that are, are big time that are competing for targets with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So his role is locked in. How are you feeling about the Bears just in in general? We've done a lot of it on the show today of just you know lamenting the the offensive line situation, but. The win totals at seven and a half, depending on where you look, seems like it's juiced under a little bit. How are you feeling about them overall? Well, the schedule is tough, and this left tackle situation is increasingly concerning. Yeah, um, I think that their their cornerback situation is also worrisome behind uh, Jalen Johnson. I, I've gone back and forth on them. I think that they're a really tough team to bet. I think that they're a pass um, when it comes to their win total. Evan, I really appreciate you taking the time for me tonight, tonight and, you know, maybe missing a little bit of the uh, the Patriots, apparently just whipping on the, on the, you know, Joe Flacco and the Eagles in this preseason game, which, by the way, everybody, Joe Flacco's on the Eagles, if you didn't know. So I really appreciate it, man, and everybody should be getting that draft kit over at Establish the Run. Thanks, Rick. All right. That is Evan Silva. Follow him on Twitter, at Evan Silva. He's the goods, man. That's all off the top of the head for him. And I'm to if also if you have not listened to the Establish the Run podcast that that Evan does with Adam Levitan, really need to be on that because you get the balance of season long with Evan and DFS with Levitan, and then the experts that they're able to bring in. I brought up Brandon Thorne a couple times. He is probably one of the most like the authorities on offensive line play outside of guys that have actually pl- like played at the NFL level. So I highly recommend uh, the work that they do over there. And Hey, I have to be, you know, not have to be, I want to be a corporate shill as well on that. I work on the NBA side at four for four football. You should really be looking at their stuff as well. John Paulson at four for four, his projections are always right at the top in terms of accuracy and if you're more of a DFS player, DFS MVP pod is great. You also have TJ Hernandez is a guy that I've been following forever. Like, like full clarity here. When I got hired at four for four and I got the TJ Hernandez follow kind of geeked out a little bit. Not going to lie. I am that kind of nerd. Been listening to him and reading him for a long time. And obviously on the betting side, my guy, Connor Allen, Ryan Noonan, like the NFL betting team is really good. And there's a lot of plans at four for four, depending on whatever your interests are. So highly recommend if you do what I do and have the combo platter of ETR and four for four, you're probably set up to have a profitable year for NFL. All right. And that is I, and I, I pay for that stuff too. So that's, that's me too. That's my money going behind that as well. All right. We're going to take a time out, come back, have a little bit of fun going to end the show with a conversation that Steve Stone had on the Bernstein and Rahimi show. But next, I said it before, it's a couple guys that are on the score staff that are jerks. And I'll tell you why. When we come back, I'm Rick Camp here with you until 10 o'clock on the score. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Unless he has something else up his shoe. Joe O, live from Springfield and Rick Camp in studio. I don't remember that herb drop. That's fantastic. You were in. You you and him were hosting. Really? My memory totally sucks. Apparently, unless he has something else up his shoe. <laughs> yes. So you heard the drop coming back. That's Herb Lawrence, and of course the infamous uh, Russ Matera line from uh, <laughs> from when Joe Ostrowski was down in Springfield for when legalized sports betting was happening and it took forever to happen. So I hosted early odds from the seat I'm in right now, which is in studio. Joe O live from Springfield and Rick camp in studio. (laughs) The second I heard that promo running like the day or two before that show, I knew that was going to be a thing. Mind you, I'm here for it. Every time I am either referenced on air or I tweet anything about a show there's text at 312-644-6767. Tweets at Rick C. Camp. Are you in studio? Or and just, Rick Camp in studio. <laughs> or just in studio. And you know what? Hey, I'm here for it. That's fine. I think it's it, so funny. I, I've just listened to the station for as long as I have. Yeah. I feel like it has to be it's some honor to be in like the drop hall of fame. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're in the drop hall of fame because of And that. it's not for something dumb I said. It's just for being here. And that's, Rick Camp in studio. That's the best part of it. So the reason we came out with those drops is because, listen, uh, you know, you have friends, you have people you work with, and they try and steer you towards, you know, you always recommend shows or movies or video games or whatever to each other. So this happened years ago for me with when I was part-time working at night, mostly when either Joe or Herb would be off, when they were working the Lawrence Holmes show and White Sox baseball. I was one of the primary fill-ins whenever those guys would be out. So they were always talking about the show Big Brother. And I know this show's been going on forever. Like, literally, this is season 23 of Big Brother. So they get me into it. You know, they're teaching me about it as we're watching a season. It's on three days a week, so it is a time commitment. And that's even without, like, watching... You can like pay to watch live feeds and stuff. And you know what? I don't have time for that. So they get me into this show and we watch like two or three seasons. Like all three of us, we're just like comparing notes back and forth, who we like, what we think is going to happen. And then those jerks quit the show. They quit watching the show. Now, mind you, the show had a rough stretch, but this season, hashtag BB 23, 
best season in a long time. Might It's on pace to be the best or second best season that I've watched. And I picked it up at season 15. So if you're, for one thing, if you're a big brother viewer, don't spoil for me what happens tonight. There was an eviction tonight. I don't want to know because I want to be able to go home and then watch it. However, I would like some confirmation of just like, if you like or dislike this season, I heard there was stuff behind the scenes and casting director, all the stuff. So it's a good season. There's a lot of strategy going on. It's really entertaining. And I have like nobody to talk about it with because I don't have a whole, I don't have like any friends that are watching this show. And I made sure to try and slur that together so it couldn't be that good of a drop of just me saying I don't have any friends. Even though I just did it right there. But eh, whatever. So that's the thing of being a producer. When you have that producer mind, you're always listening for that kind of thing. So even when you're hosting, you're still thinking of it. I got to get better at, at it. Like, I think the only thing that I've ever been able to pick out is Herb saying something else up his shoe, yeah. which is, which clear is as so day. good. It's so good. But uh, yeah, that's like the producer ear. That gen- and that's something that can be developed. Like that's me also sitting next to Chris Tannehill for forever and being like, oh, like kind of like picking things up from being able to work next to him. Because honestly, if you can't pick up things sitting next to Tanny, then what are you doing? But back to Joe and her being jerks. So this great season is happening, at least so far. And these guys won't get involved. I've, I told them weeks ago, hey, this is a good season. You'll appreciate this. Get back into it. Nothing. So if you watch Big Brother, hit me up on Twitter at Rick Camp because I need people to talk Big Brother with. I am that level of a nerd when it comes to this show. I'm not going to be watching the live feeds. I don't have time for that. But these guys got me hooked. They gave me the free sample. And now I'm just I'm just hooked and I'm here for it. Actually, one of the best uh, Twitter follows for it is a guy who's from Chicago, the season 15 winner, Andy Heron. He's uh, really, enter- really entertaining on his season. Problematic season in a lot of ways. However, he was really good. Seems like a really good dude. And he's a good tw- uh, Twitter follow on Big Brother. So I have a cousin that is, I think he just turned 21. Um, he is it problematic if he is basically training right now and is, is watches a ton of Big Brother is basically training to just get on Big Brother like that is his if you ask no. him what his life goal is it's to get on Big Brother I mean as a life goal that's not that great however like there are people there's at least one person that's in that house right now that like studies the game ha- like has notebooks full of notes of how people have played out situations so like those are the people that are like watching the live feeds all the time, understanding all the strategy that's involved. That's my cousin. Like he's, he is convinced that not only he will get on the show, but also win the show once he's on. I mean, I feel like most seasons, there's someone from the Chicago area at least because now that now there's a new casting director. So for a long time, and I'm sure plenty of people have tuned out and, and that's fine. But if you have that friend or those friends that got you hooked on a show and then they bail and you're, you're left there like, well, who am I going to talk about this with when it gets really good? That's the situation I'm in. But yeah, like they switched, uh, they switched casting directors, but even so there's generally someone from the Chicago area that's on most seasons. So if you, if you need that bit of a hook, that's there for you. And if you're a big brother fan, you're not following Andy Heron that I mentioned before at Andy H Heron, H E R R E M winner of season 15, 
good dude, seems like a really good dude, really entertaining Twitter follow uh, for Big Brother and non-Big Brother related stuff. So, and also if you are someone like Joe and Herb that was into the show and dipped because it wasn't that great the last few seasons, one, I understand to get back involved because this season is awesome. 312-644-6767. I don't really know how to pivot off of that for a couple of minutes and like go back to like bears or whatever, because, oh, I can, you know what I can do here? A couple bulls things. Uh, NBA executive survey happened on ESPN. Tim Bontops does this. He's really good, really good writer, really uh, plugged in. He's the guy that does the MVP poll every year. And basically through that poll predicts who's going to win the MVP pretty early in the process. And what I find interesting is ask 10 executives about things about the NBA offseason. And the first one was the best move of the offseason. And mind you, they give you a little, they give a little bit of cop-out answers. But with one vote was the Chicago Bulls offseason in general, which I find pretty interesting. But then when you go to the worst move of the offseason, the most votes anything got out of 10 was three. It was the New Orleans Pelicans offseason and the Bulls trading for DeMar DeRozan. And that shouldn't be shocking to people. I know Bulls Twitter can be fickle when you bring up and really, really sensitive when you bring up DeMar DeRozan. And I'm myself and Tony Gill that I mentioned earlier in the show, working at NBC Sports Chicago, Bulls Talk podcast, cover the Bulls, all that stuff. We are two of the people that are like, listen, along with a lot of national people that believe this. So it's like, hey, the fit with DeRozan, you can see it offensively to a point. But here's essentially what you did. You know what? We're going to trade for a guy, and we're going to give up a first-round pick, one of our good rotation players, and two second-round picks just for the right to pay him a lot more than anybody else was ever going to pay him, and he's a one-way player. That's what the Bulls did. And I wasn't sure about the, was there another market for him? But when on his podcast, The Hoop Collective, Brian Windhorst of ESPN, who's very plugged in, literally said, I don't know where the uh, the rest of the market was for him near this price range. That's a problem. That is a big time problem. Because, okay, the Bulls, there's no doubting that the Bulls became a more talented team overall this offseason. However, so did a lot of the teams they're fighting for places in the Eastern Conference playoffs did as well. Even a team like Indiana that didn't necessarily make a lot of moves, they got rid of Nate Bjorkren, who was a dumpster fire, and brought in Rick Carlisle. Those types of things. The Celtics made some moves. You know, the Knicks were able to get Kemba Walker and bring a lot of their guys back. I don't necessarily know how much better they're going to be. But by giving up everything they did, and by overpaying like they did. For one thing, it's more of a process thing of, okay, you're doing this now with other guys that matter. That can also hurt moving forward. But you just completely cap what you can do from here moving forward to make this team better. So that's why with the Bulls, I I was down on the DeRozan move specifically, like the Lonzo Ball move, like the Caruso move. Tony Bradley is a backup center at the minimum. Cool, fine, here for that. Here for Io as a draft pick. I'm not the best with college basketball, but sure seems like a guy that can, if you need him to fill out a guard spot in your rotation, cool, he can do that. The Bulls' defense is not going to be good this year because a lot of people like to throw out they were 
after the trade deadline, they were eighth in defense. A lot of that was due to Thaddeus Young and Daniel Tice as your fours. Being able to make up for some of the shortcomings of Nikola Vucevic, you don't have those guys anymore because you dealt them. So when I have more time, we'll have more Bulls thoughts as well. Willing to take your thoughts, 312-644-6767. But when we come back, Steve Stone was on with Bernstein and Rahimi. You should hear it. So we'll do that coming back on 670, the score. I want to thank everybody that has listened tonight. Thank you to Jason Leisure and Evan Silva for joining the show. Thank you to Sean Anderson for all the work that he's done on the other side of the glass. Thank you to you for listening, texting, calling, all of that. If you're interested in sports betting at all, I highly recommend checking out the shows on BetQL. Uh, In particular, You Better You Bet. Am I biased? Absolutely, because I work on that show and I give picks on it every night. And hey, my RBI picks, been doing okay lately. Had had, uh, Anthony Rizzo to get an RBI tonight, plus 145. That hit in like third inning, third, fourth inning. So it's entertaining programming, at least I like to think so, and it helps make you some money. So highly recommend that when you need and when you know, want to mix it up a little bit in your sports listening. Also the podcast. So that way you can listen to score programming and then check that out on the podcast as well. All right. I mentioned Steve Stone had a great conversation with the Bernstein Rahimi show. Let's take a listen to that. And thank you to everybody. Have a good night and enjoy the conversation Stoney had with Dan and Layla. I want to pick up a conversation that we had with Ian Happ because I think you can add to it. I don't want to be the person to do this, but it is interesting. He talked about Joe West, the idea of respecting Joe. And if you just know that if a pitch is going in the mitt, it's going to be called a strike. But if it's a little bit outside of the zone, you probably won't get it if you argue it. And that it's pretty much like a two strike to four ball type of ratio, where if you don't argue, you're going to get the other balls called, but not if the catcher is framing well. What are your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, I always try to make friends with the umpire because uh, I was not overwhelming, and I thought he held my fate in his hands. So there was no reason for me to really get on the ump. I understand that some pitches he calls, not much you can do. As far as complaining is concerned, there's certain ways to do it, and there's certain ways to not do it. Uh, One would be, hey, I thought that was outside. And the emperor will say, no, it looked to me like it was good. That's fine. You can pretty much say that. Or, you know, if you, if you, for instance, foul off a ball many times, a hitter will ask the umpire, was that a strike? And more times than not, I have no reason to assume that he's going to lie to you about that. So, um, you know, I think you certainly have to try to protect yourself up there. But realistically, uh, this umpire has, has your performance in his hands. If he's calling a pitch three, four inches outside, well, that's something that you have to deal with. Hmm. I appreciate the perspective. And unfortunately, we're going to have to deal with him for at least, I think, into the playoffs. Yeah, I think it paints the picture of everything that's wrong with baseball. And the reason why they're trying to to move on from uh, umpires that tend to have that sort of uh, imperious personality. Correct. But, but Steve, uh, Chris Bassett appears to be okay. Uh, That's a huge sigh of relief because I'm still rattled by that. And I know that anybody who pitches and anybody who's the parent 
of someone who pitches always has that in in the back of their mind. And I don't know, any memories for you when something like that happened? Did you have any close calls? Did you have any scares you know, at, at any stage when you played baseball? Because it's just, you're, it's inevitable mm-hmm. that something's going to happen when you're on the mound for that many pitches. Well, I think you always have scares as long as you're pitching. <clears throat> Excuse me. The allergies are killing me. But um, I had a couple of line drives whizzed by my head, uh, one in Texas specifically by Al Oliver that – Pretty much the first time I saw it, Al Brumbry was catching it in center field on a hop. Uh, but I felt my hands were good. I felt I had a good enough delivery to be able to pretty much square off and to be able to defend myself. Uh, I pitched from the time I was 11 to the time I was knocking at the door at 35. I never got hit above the belt because my hands were really good, Uh and I thought, again, I could protect myself. However, sometimes from the belt down, you get a hit off the knee or the thigh. Sometimes you <clears throat> yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay, Stoney. Yeah, sometimes you can't, uh, you can't get down there quickly enough, and you get hit. It was a very scary scene, and I thought the way you and the broadcast handled it was, was very graceful, given what we saw and just the pictures that we saw, even the post-game show. Only aired one replay one time. When when you're watching it real time, how do you describe what you're seeing and the concern you have and just trying to paint the picture of what you're seeing, but also the emotion balancing that, knowing you know what that feels like being out there and, and being subject to something like that potentially? Well, you have to help describe it. I mean, and you have to also mention why it happened. <clears throat> Bless you. And the pla- the placement of the glove uh, of Chris Bassett uh, made it so that he actually couldn't get back to make the catch. And what I mean is he was falling off the mound to the first base side. When you fall off the mound, obviously your pitching arm comes first, but it normally takes your glove and actually puts it very close to behind you. You have to hope that line drive is not right at you. And you would just as soon have it to your glove side as opposed to your throwing side. But we're in a max effort era for pitchers. Throw the ball as hard as you can uh, with just about every one of your pitches. And then hopefully you'll be able to defend yourself. I remember Edwin Jackson. You remember Edwin Jackson. He pitched for just about everybody. He got hit on a one hopper right in the butt. You can't get hit in the butt unless your back is to the hitter. And if your back is to the hitter, you're probably not going to be able to defend yourself. Well, Chris Bassett wasn't quite like that. He didn't have his back to uh, to Goodwin. However, he pulled himself out of a defensible position. And it's something, guys, that we live with. When you go out to the mound and you're throwing the ball, make, make a case for Bassett throwing at 93, it comes back to you at 100-plus miles an hour. Unless you're really prepared for it and you see guys who are like Dallas Keuchel, granted, not a hard thrower, but finishes off his delivery perfectly. Greg Maddox with all those gold gloves, not a hard thrower, at least after a while. But he got himself in a defensible position and stopped everything back through the middle. So it's to the fault of nobody. Everybody says, well, you're blaming Bassett. No, I'm not. I'm explaining why he actually got hit with the ball, where his glove was when the line drive came to him. And again, if you're really lucky, it goes by you into center field. But sometimes you're not that lucky and it hits you. And the good thing about what happened with Chris is that 
he doesn't have any eye issues. The sight is fine, which is the thing you really worry about. I mean, if you if you break that orbit bone and some of the shards go into your eye, you're probably going to lose your eye. Uh. And that's something that we know about, something that we think about. And I think, by the way, guys, as you get older, I think you think about it more. When you start to throw that fastball away from a pull-hitting right-hand hitter, you got a pretty good feeling it's got a chance to come back at you. And especially if you're a sinker baller, you know the ball's going to come back at you. That's why it's been essential for Keuchel, who throws a lot of sinkers, to be able to field his position. Steve, the story last night, obviously, alongside the White Sox win, bless you, was the the ejection of Lance Lynn. I'm curious more how you thought he looked because he seemed to be battling himself early, and the and you have been on the theme of making sure these veteran starting pitchers are ready to go for the games that matter more. And Carlos Rodon has uh, some time away right now. Do you think that Lance Lynn looks like he may need a like a phantom DL stint of some kind? Well, I don't really think that he had near as good stuff last night. I mean, he was was struggling right from the get-go. He couldn't hit his spots. Uh, He got very frustrated not being able to throw the cutter where he wanted to or that sinker that he throws where he wanted to. We can ascribe it to two things. Number one, when he said one of the reasons why he wanted to get into the dugout quickly, and he actually beat the umpire there, which caused some of the problems, was because he's dealing with something. He wasn't specific. I don't know what he's dealing with exactly, uh, nor will they tell us. But if he's dealing with something, I'm not saying you put him off a little bit, but, you know, he had one more day of rest between this performance and the last. And who knows? He's always been a horse, but he's never been as old as he is today. And sometimes that horse gets a little tired. So I'm all for letting him miss a start every now and then. I don't think he has to go on the IL. But, uh, you know, you keep moving him back. You maybe miss a start every now and then. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because there's a lot of people that say, well, you know, put the pedal to the metal and win every game here on out. Uh, make Kopech a starter. Uh, do all of these things. You know, why is this guy playing? Why, why, why is that Moncada hitting second? Well, maybe because he's in a throes of a bad slump and they don't want to hit him up second. And as far as Kopech being a starter, not going to happen this year. He can't get stretched out in time to start. And he's a pretty big weapon out of that bullpen. But I think Tony, having been through it many times, realizes that the health of his ball club as he heads into whether it's consequential games in September, we hope that's not the case, but if it's certainly meaningful games in October, you want to make sure you have a full team and a very healthy team. And Tony, who's been through it many times, realizes that he's got to keep these guys healthy. So he puts some lineups out there that people can't understand. That's number one. you got a 12-game lead. You can afford to uh, uh, tinker with your lineup, shall we say. And also he gives some guys a little more rest and doesn't throw some guys when everybody thinks, well, they should. So I think he's done a nice job with Crochet and with Kopech, um, specifically because these are starters who have moved to the bullpen. You cannot – pretty much throw him day after day. It doesn't work that way. But, um, you know, that's that's where we stand. That's the advantage of a 12-game lead. And I think the boys are doing a pretty good job. And I think as far as keeping pitchers healthy, most of these guys have been very healthy. Our injuries have come to position players. Fortunately, we've kind of dodged the bullet on the pitchers getting hurt because that's that's really what sets everything up. 
you go five, six innings, you limit the bullpen and the outs they have to make, and you're doing a good job, and that's what the starters have done most of this year. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hey, 